behind these screens, there's people that are made in the image of God. And that, that makes it hard to kill somebody. If a governor believes we're still more than the worst thing we've ever done, that, that the image of God is still there, that makes a huge difference. It's Uncommon Good, the podcast where we talk with ordinary people doing uncommon good in service of our common humanity. I'm Polly Reese. Y'all, excited about my guest today. A Christian author, a speaker, a community organizer, the host of the Red Letter Christians podcast, it's Shane Claiborne. You might know him from his books, The Irresistible Revolution, Red Letter Christians, If you're local to Philly, you might know him as one of the founders of The Simple Way, a faith-based organization committed to neighborhood cohesion and resident empowerment in North Philadelphia. I've been to the house a couple of times. They have these most incredible urban gardens. It's fabulous. He's also one of the founders of Raw Tools Philly, a nonprofit committed to finding an end to gun violence through education and the safe surrender and transformation of firearms into garden tools and other works of art. I am in awe, and I feel so lucky to have been part of this conversation. A bit of a trigger warning off the top, we do get a bit into the weeds of Christian spirituality and sacramental theology, and we do get quite a bit into topics of hunger and gun violence. If these are not things that are the right fit for you to listen to, feel free, switch this one off, and we'll catch you in the next one. That being said, we talk a bit about evangelical Christianity, feeding and food deserts, that one time that Shane went to clown school, and quite a bit about nonviolence. Please enjoy my conversation with Shane. Um, yeah, so my, so my Appalachian Trail story yeah, is that... What, so I, w- I was in college. I went to a, a Christian liberal arts college called uh, Greenville College. They're out in uh, like the St. Louis area. And the whole thing that they did for resident assistants, I, I think they called us resident chaplains, was that um, we went um, on a sort of like wilderness, like walkabout, like retreat week to um, usually the Smoky Mountains. Um, and that included with for like fasting and prayer and contemplation, like great idea in theory, except mm-hmm. um, the 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 two like the 48 hours um, that they were doing it with us that we had scheduled. Um, we found out um, because a, a park ranger came out to like the little corner that I would like the little tree that I was perched under my space blanket and said, oh, um, can you wake up? We we just have a, a little bit of a concern about wild boars um, and the rangers are going to take care of it. Um, so it won't be a problem, but um, they use shotguns. So we just don't want you to be at risk. Can you come back to the shelter, please? Wow. Wild boars. Oh, man, I'm sorry about that. I I didn't know that wild boars lived like in the wilds of the Great Smoky Mountains, but I was like, I was like, this is this is such a great story about like how like you think you're doing one thing and something entirely different will happen, will come along, but it's also still okay. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I've seen a lot of things in those, uh, you know, in on, on the trails up there. We, we, sure. say, I, I would say most times these days we see bear, you know, uh, yes. a bear too. Why you see a copperhead, but never a wild boar. How about that? Wow. 
I won't ask you what you ate for breakfast, I guess, the next morning, but yeah, wow. The, um, the, the, the retreat facilitator was like really, really committed. So they, like, as soon as the, um, as soon as the threat was, was dispatched or neutralized, whatever, they never, like the, the Rangers never came around and said what happened to the board. <laughs> just and i i don't remember being woken up in the shelter by gunshot by by uh by shotgun shot so i'm assuming something happened like 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 olivia pope like the fixer type style and they just <laughs> went away but they decided the retreat facilitator decided um we're on solo like we're on we're on solo fasting um like time so you can just go back out and take your water bottle and 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 we'll see you in like 12 hours <laughs> Oh yeah, you couldn't even have country ham. You were fasting. <laughs> Dang, yeah. Well. No, 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 you couldn't. Um, but um, you know, I guess we got into this because I know that you grew up in in Tennessee, um, and I would love to like hear more about like what early days, like what like teenage Shane Claiborne um, was was like. Oh man, I look at this. I, I know everybody's listening, but I, I have a, a on my desk here a picture of Dolly Parton. It says "To Shane, Love Dolly." And uh, oh my like, god, this is this is where I grew up. You know, I I I right in the foothills of the Smoky Mountains. My my folks are my ancestors are buried. You know, in the mountains there. I just found this out, uh, Polly. My my uh i'm related to the moonshiner guys that are on that tv show that make the moonshine so my uncle just went what? and visited them and he's learning to make moonshine so what uh, yeah that's my people man um yeah i, I actually know uh I've, I've, I've learned a little bit about the uh the moonshine business since we're related to those guys but yeah um, to this day, I inherited land in the mountains, you know, passed down from the family. And the yeah. name, the name on the deed uh, is Old Hag Holler. <laughs> that, that's, the, that's the name of the road, Polly. So, um, yeah, that's my people. And, you know, and I, I mean, I love, you know, I love the city. I, you know, I've lived in Philly for the last 25 years, but I love the country right. too. And th this is where I grew up. It shaped me at um, a small town, you know, slow lives, yeah. sipping sweet, sweet tea on the front porch kind of thing. And I mean, it's got, it's, it's got its funk, you know, I mean, there's, yeah. it, it was still very uh, segregated town. I mean, obviously, you know, the Southern politics is deeply rooted in uh, our history of racism. I mean, my high school, had the confederate flag on nearly everything you know i mean it was on their our lunchroom trays and painted on the walls and so i mean there, there was all that but there's there's also like um it's just that that's you know that's where i grew up and and yeah. uh it's the bible belt too so um even with all of the funk of the church i really kind of was able to see through the clouds and and, and, yeah. and feel the love of God. And this is where I fell in love with Jesus. So it's, it's a special place. You know, I just went last night. I was back at the, the United Methodist Church that I was raised in. for I think the first time in like hmm. 20 years, I went back and I was uh, talking to a group there last night. It was just kind of surreal. You know, it's across the school from my, or across the street from my, my uh, junior high school. <laughs> so yeah, man. <laughs> Does it um, does it feel weird to like go back and to be like at a different stage in life, seeing a and 
seeing a place that you spent like the most time in like 20 30 years before yeah well i i like it you know because places yeah. change too i mean i think our our whole country's experiencing some growing pains you know and and i mean sure. and i went back and spoke um i think it was the like the hundredth anniversary of my high school or something so i went back and spoke wow. um and you know all those confederate flags were gone there i mean and there was a lot of reckoning that that folks were doing there um so i was, I was speaking to an all-school assembly you know and i i i you know i'd worked with mother Teresa. and i'm sure we'll talk about that but i dedicated a yeah. book that she had signed to my high school you know so they could have it in the library and little book signed by mother Teresa. So all that, like, those are just like, I love coming back and seeing all that, you know? Um, and, you know, and, and, and looking back on it, there were a lot of things that um, in hindsight, I'm able to see that, you know, you kind of don't notice as much when you're, when you're in the, in the water as, as the fish, you know, you know, coming yeah. while coming back and there's things that I, I still really love here. And there's things that I, yeah. um, are yet to be redeemed, I guess we'd say, you know. <laughs> right. Well, that's that's a that's a question. Like, we all have these things that, like, time passes and the way that we see them changes. Um, but but it doesn't change the fact that those things were meaningful at least at one point in our lives, right? Um, mm -hmm. So I guess the question is, what is it? Is there is there space? Do you think? For us to hold like all of the things that feel that we feel very fond of about something like as you as you pointed to about the your your town like the confederate flag um some some of that insignia is there space for us to hold all of the things that we value about that 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 are positive impacts on our lives while also recognizing there are some things that are mm, probably not so great well uh I, I, you know, I, I think of Tennessee now and there's, I mean, Tennessee just a year ago removed the statue of Nathan Bedford Forrest, the found, one of the founders of the KKK mm. yeah. from the Capitol building, you know, yeah. um, and my friend, Justin Jones, he's a 26 year old activist down here, um, was a part of organizing around that. He was arrested for nonviolent protests, but he was arrested so many times he was given a ban and bar from the Capitol. Um, he wasn't allowed to go on the property. And yet this year he won um, his race for state representative in the primary. So he'll be, he's poised to be the state rep. So it's, it's like, man, times are changing. You know, here's a, a young, incredibly vibrant, deeply spiritual young yeah. man of color that's now going to be like holding office in the place that he was banned from, <laughs> you know, but, I, and I, you know, I look at, I look at Tennessee and I think it's, it, you know, we've still got the electric chair. Um, we're executing right. people. One of the few states right. that's regularly executing people. They just passed a law that makes it a felony to sleep in public. So they, you know, had laws that criminalize, um, homelessness and um and yet you got this state that like really prides itself off of um this southern hospitality and love yeah. and 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 both can be true you know i mean i like i think yes. I, I i've experienced both um uh, 
so yeah, it's a complicated thing, you know. I mean, Tennessee politics are terrible, but um, yeah, it's that's why I'm always thinking. I was talking to this group last night, and they're like, you know, how can we get some of our politicians to be more concerned about gun violence? And I'm like, maybe we start with Dolly Parton, you know. <laughs> we we got to get some of these southern icons to. Uh, if Dolly Parton would say, let's end the death penalty, I might do more than the governor, you know. So anyway, but I, I'm. I, I think there's a lot of things that are changing, but you know, this yeah. is, this is what I know, Polly, is that, that part of why I have patience and mm. a little grace and room for pe- people is because I see some of those things that were embedded in me, you know, that I, yes. I, um, uh, uh, you know, for a lot of my life, I was on the other side of these issues that I care so deeply about now. I mean, I grew up with guns. Uh, I grew up um, for the death penalty, you know, like had all the Bible verses that I thought uh, justified and defended capital punishment and, you know, so many other things. So, you know, it's my um, relationships changed as I broadened the kind of horizon of authentic friendships that I had beyond people that look like me. Um, I think some of my politics and um, my worldview shifted a little, you know, Um, and and it's also my love for Jesus. You know, the the more I leaned into Jesus, the more troubled I was with some of the things that had come to define and characterize evangelical Christianity, especially white evangelicalism, you know, which I, I think sometimes is more shaped by, cultural and political forces than it is actually by the gospel, you know, and the spiritual forces of, or the spirit of God. That, that's such, that's such a gentle and, and beautiful observation that the more that I, the more that I hear about it, it takes so much vulnerability to, to be able to, to be able to hold both of those things at the same time, that there's, there's so much about 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 the name of Christianity and about the name of evangelicalism that um, has has the promise that, that I mean I mean like going back to the Greek the, the the idea of the Evangelion and and the notion of of news that is good encouraging inspiring and uplifting which is what what this show hopes to be um, but but um, the the question of how we actually do that where where we live um, and and, and and the impact of the way that we do that is, it feels like evergreen. At least it is for me. Um, I promise there's a question in here somewhere. <laughs> um, because because I I remember from the early days of of talking with um, some some folks that um, that knew you from your Eastern days. Um, and then like looking at the work that, that you're doing now with Raw Tubes Philly and with this, this notion of nonviolence and anti-gun violence, I mean, especially in our city of Philadelphia, um, what is the heart space like to be open to experiencing change? Because I know plenty of people with lots of different ideologies in the United States that are very, very unwilling to participate in change or at least practice the level of vulnerability um, that involves them at least 
acknowledging the possibility that they could be ideologically or even theologically wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I don't see, I see a vulnerability in, in, in that heart uh, that you're describing that I don't see very often. So I wonder if you can tell me where that comes from. Well, you know, I immediately think of this guy I met. Um, I was sp- uh, speaking somewhere and he came up afterwards and he, he said uh, very uh, humbly, he said, man, I, I got to tell you, I'm, I need to confess it that I'm a redneck, you know, and he said, I'm a, I mean, textbook, you know, pickup truck, whiskey, shotgun, like, you know, yeah. I, I, I'm, yeah. I, and he said, uh, but I've been reading your books and he, he said, and uh, it, it's messed me up. And I wanted to ask you if you'd pray for me. I've been reading the Bible and I'm trying to figure this out. And he, he said, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a recovering redneck. <laughs> and, um, and we prayed together, you know, and I thought there's, there's a verse in scripture that says we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling yeah. that, that, you know, conversion isn't about a moment, but it's an ongoing movement of being shaped and mm-hmm. formed into hopefully love. You know, I think God is love. That's what scripture says has been my experience is God is yeah. love. And so we're trying to become more like love and we need God's help. We need the help from, you know, friends that, uh, yeah, uh, um, live out and embody that love in, in really beautiful ways. Um, they they kind of help us live live out love better. So you know, I, I think that all that for me is um, is a recognition that we're a work in progress. And um, you know, even when when I when we do this work of, that of turning guns into garden tools. Um, we're reminded uh, that all things can be made new. You know, that this promise that, um, that, that we're all more than what we have been in the past, that we're, Mm -hmm. we're, we're changing. And so sometimes I'll show people one of the tools that we've made out of a gun, you know, and I'll say, this is, this is what a gun looks like when it gets born again, you know, and, Mm. (laughs) but, but I, you know, I think people are being made new and and that's one of the things that we see in, in, all through scripture is um, Jesus saying things like, I haven't come for the healthy, but for the sick, you know, it's, it's, Mm. it's, uh, uh, it's not for the righteous, but for the sinners I've come into, you know, that that's, that's Jesus's harshest words are for not people on the fringes of the faith, but, but the self-righteous religious people that, thought they were the hub of everything that God was doing. And, and, and Jesus is constantly including the excluded and challenging the religious. Um, uh, so, um, yeah, I I mean, and as I read scripture, you know, I grew up, um, like in Sunday school learning David is a man after God's own heart, you know, that's what I heard. But then you read the Bible and the dude was a womanizer. I mean, he raped Bathsheba, he killed her husband to cover it up. He did some really yeah. terrible things. And, um, you know, it was Bono from U2 that said, uh, the fact that the Bible is full of messed up people used to disturb me, but now I find it a great source of comfort. Because, <laughs> 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 you, you know, you see, wow, well, if, if God's, uh, if if God's grace was big enough for David, <laughs> maybe I've got a chance. You know? <laughs> um, but I think that is the good news, you know, and unfortunately, 
much of what people have heard from evangelical Christianity doesn't sound like good news at all. It sounds like terrible yeah. news. Um, and but I, but I do believe that at the end of the day, like you said, that the word gospel means good news. And I haven't given up on that because of the embarrassing and shameful things that many Christians have done in God's name. I, I still um, thank God every day that that Jesus has survived and transcended the terrible things that Christians have done in his name. And so that's why, you know, when, when, when Gandhi was asked about Christianity, he said, I love Jesus. I just wish the Christians acted more like him. <laughs> you know, I, I can really, I can really vibe with that. Um, one, I, I've been doing a lot of thinking about impact and like as a, as a person who has evangelical roots as well, um, like I'm, um, I'm, I'm I'm a practicing Christian more in like this sort of like mainline traditions like in that space at the moment but I have been thinking about the that history of that not all news that Christians have shown is good news um because of mo based on the impact that we see it have the people the, the harm that it causes the trauma that it inflicts even though Christians have tended to think that the the, the news that they are preaching is good news that we're, we're trying to share good things um what do you think our responsibility is for that harm do we have like is do we have work of undoing that finding reconciliation restorative work um reflect with me on that for a moment oh yeah i mean absolutely so I, one, one of the the you know, core uh, values of Christianity and evangelical Christianity in particular has been confession, you know, being confessing our sins, owning up to the stuff mm. that we we've done. And, yeah. but confession is just really a beginning, you know, like, I mean, it's, it's also similar to the recovery community, you know, uh, AA and NA mm. is, is, um, they're, they're the, once we have truth, we then have a responsibility to heal some of the harm that has been done in as, in as much as we can. You know, I think there's a space for grace that we can't heal all the harm that we've done. But um, sure. yeah. uh, God's grace kind of fills the cracks. But we sure want to if we're sincerely um, sorry for what we've done. We want to um, um, do something that can restore and heal the the the. Um, harm that we created. So the one of the best translations of the word justice in the scripture, which is connected to righteousness, you know, the words are bound up together. And these are my scholarly friends have told me this. I'm a, I'm a yeah. seminary dropout. So you can, you know, my credentials are limited. But, you know, my friends have told me that the <laughs> best translation of the word justice is restorative justice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because it is about the restoration of things. And, 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 um, that, that has so many implications, you know, I, I think for us personally, but also mm. for our society. You know, if we really tell the truth about our history, uh, what does it look like to have a confessional church in America that is actually mm. talking about um, what it looks like to live in a country that was built on stolen land with stolen labor and, and has done such harm? not just historically, but continually, you know, and what does it look like to, to, to heal the wounds of that? Um, so, um, 
that, you know, so I think, you know, confession is a beginning. It opens the door to repentance, which is a church word, but it really means to rethink how we think and live, um, to live differently. And then I think repentance um, opens the door to repair, to to restoration and to healing some of that harm. So um, I've come to really think about like salvation in as also a liberation and healing um, that God is personal, but God is also social. And I think a lot of times the church gets that wrong. We we think this is only about personal salvation and Jesus is my boyfriend and I'm going to heaven when I die. Um, or we think it's just about um, social justice and has no personal or spiritual implications, you know, and I, I really think that God is healing individuals and God is healing streets and communities in our world. Um, yeah. and, and God is personal and God is social, you know, uh, I, I love how mother Teresa felt God was so personal. She called Jesus her spouse. Yes. She said, Jesus is my yes. lover, you know? So there's something really, really beautiful about that. And, it, and if, if we're really true to that, I think it does affect how we live because as Jesus said, we're to seek first the kingdom of God on earth. We're yeah. to seek God's dream on earth. Um, so if we wake up and that that's our, our prayer is God, I want your dream to come on earth. It affects the way we live in, you know, in, in the, in the now um, God's dream is not for a hundred people to die every day of gun violence. God's dream is not for people to, yes. uh, to, to, die in the electric chair, you know, or to be executed yes. like God's God's justice restores and heals wounds rather than inflicting more of them. So, you know, I, I think that that's part of what really happened for me is I I began to mm -hmm. see that a lot of versions of Christianity are just promising people life after death, almost as an excuse to ignore life before death, you know, and so we, we promise people they're going to heaven when they die while ignoring all the hells that they're living in right now. So I want to sort of make this a little bit more concrete. The The dream of God, um, it, well, first and foremost, it sounds like a very wonderful dream. Um, the, thinking about our, our beloved city of Philadelphia, um, what do you think think the dream of God would look like for, for our city. The great thing about this is, is we don't have to speculate. I mean, there's some things that we, we we've given some, we're, we're given some, um, uh, hints of in scripture, you know, or even some, some, um, uh, our imagination can be shaped by what we see, um, in the prophets and in the scripture. And, and, you know, some of those things are Jesus saying that the last will be first. And the first will be last. The mighty, uh, the gospel says the mighty will be cast from their thrones and the lowly will be lifted up. The hungry will be filled and the rich will be sent away empty. Uh, that's not Karl Marx or the radical left. <laughs> <laughs> that's the yeah. gospel of Luke. <laughs> that's the, that's... you know, um, so, but, you know, I think that that vision that the world is being flipped upside down and those who have been crushed are going to be given uh, special honor. Um, those who have, you know, been on the the thrones in the ivory tower are going to be cast down. Um, but there's also these beautiful images, you know, of, of 
of the prophets that inspire our work of turning guns into garden tools. And it, and it says that God's people will beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning hooks. And they will, they yeah. will study war no more. They will learn violence no more. So that vision of a world where people reject violence um, and that we can live without fear. Um, whereas the scripture says that the young and the old will dream dreams together and see visions, you know, of a better world, that that's the kind of thing that I think, you know, can inspire us right now. Um, yeah. So part of that, I think in scripture is also a consistent thread that, um, that we would have this day, our daily bread. Um, it says in Proverbs, uh, there's this beautiful verse that says, give me neither poverty nor riches for in my poverty, I might be forced to steal. And in my riches, I might forget my God. So, man, I mean, if that isn't a, a, a like a vision for a world where everyone has enough. Um, yeah. And, it, you know, as Gandhi said, there's enough for everyone's need, but not enough for everyone's greed. <laughs> so it gives a different you know, vision for the world than a handful of billionaires that had the same amount as half the world's population, you know, and like that world's very unsustainable. So I think, you know, even the American dream, you know, I mean, I, I think that it's based on very different things than this idea of everyone having what they need. So whether it's, you know, healthcare or um, housing, um, yeah. uh, you know, all, all of those things, I, I think that's God's dream, you know, is that we would have, uh, uh, everything that we need to thrive. And, and that's why, you know, in, in so many of the scriptures, like Matthew 25, where Jesus gives a final account of the judgment day, um, we're asked, when I was hungry, did you feed me? When I was a stranger, an immigrant, yeah. a refugee, you know, homeless, did, did you welcome me in? That how we treat the most vulnerable people in our society um, is how we treat God. And that I mean, you can't get mm. it, I mean, any, any more. Uh, uh, you can't make it clearer than that. So, but but that is it's the invitation to participate in bringing God's dream, and I, I think that's one of the most mind blowing truths of the faith is mm. that for some reason God doesn't want to change the world without us, um, and, and a lot of times we throw our hands up at God and we say. God, you know, why don't you do something? And, it, and if we listen closely, I think we, we hear God say, I, I made you, you know, like you're, you're my hands yeah. and my feet. Um, so uh, when it comes to gun deaths, you know, why, why do a hundred people die every day? I think sometimes we're waiting on God and, and God might be waiting on us. Where do you think some of the, some of the ungodly, things that you talked about greed um i mean we live in philadelphia the new york times published an article yesterday that said we are the most violent big city per capita certainly the poorest big city per, per capita um more than new york la and chicago certainly i think even possibly combined mm -hmm. um like greed violence um cold-heartedness um where do you think this comes from what makes a person want wants to have more than what is necessary if if enough is 
the the best way of being mm. oh I've, I've been finishing a um a book yeah. uh, that that touches on some of this and one of the things that i found as i was um writing is that the you know i, I grew up hearing the word sin um all the time you know um but but interesting enough, the the first time the word sin is used in in the in the Bible um, was not in the Garden of Eden, but it was in the first kind of thing that happens after the fall. Um, you know, the eating of the fruit of the forbidden, you know, the forbidden fruit of the tree, and um, and it's during the murder of Cain and Abel. Uh, the, the one of the first things that happens outside the Garden of Eden is an act of violence. It's a brother you know, a, a man killing his own brother. And that's where the word sin is used. And and in that incident too, it also says that as um, Abel was killed, the, the blood cries out to God from the ground. Um, and my my Jewish friends have shown me that, that the word for blood is plural, that it's all the bloods. So, and it's in the, the, the verb cries is in the present tense. So it's not just, it is, the, the point being that it's not just Abel's blood that cried out, but it's any time the blood and, and all of the blood that's been spilled cries out to God from the ground. That this matters, that people are made in the image of God. And I think it's when we begin, when we lose track of the sacredness of human life, uh, that we obviously begin to, to desecrate it, right? We begin to treat it as less than holy. Um, and, um, so, so what I've been thinking a lot about and writing about is that the sacredness of, of every person and, and what if we saw that, you know, that, that this idea that almost became cliche when I was in high school of we, our bodies are sanctuaries, like we are temples of God, you know, but, but, um, that's part of what I think we we've we've lost, you know, especially with all of our pixels and screens and virtual stuff and all of this that we lose that behind these screens and um, uh, are, are there's there's people that are made in the image of God, um, and that that makes it hard to kill somebody, you know. If we if if a governor believed that um, even someone who's done something really terrible murdered another person that that we're still more than the worst th- worst thing we've ever done that that the image of god is still there um that that makes a huge difference you know if our young people are growing up thinking that no matter um how different this person looks from me they bear the image of god um like that that affects everything so you know i, I think that's that's some of it um i also think that like we have layers and generations of lives that have been desecrated. Um, and that leaves a mark, you know, um, some of those same studies like the New York times article, um, there was a great, a really powerful article in the Philly Inquirer showing that the same blocks, the 57 blocks that are bearing the, the bulk of our gun violence were the blocks that were redlined. Um, and, um, uh, uh, you know, over the last hundred years, these these neighborhoods were um, uh, divested from and um, 
and and systemically discriminated against. And so it's it's still very heartbreaking, but maybe um, less surprising that those same neighborhoods are carrying so much of the the gun violence in our city. Um, so I think you know affirming that. Uh, and, and, and telling the truth about that throughout history. And, and the truth is that the church has been a force for life and a force for injustice, sometimes at the same time. You know, we've been a part of the problem <laughs> and a part of the solution. Yeah, yeah. Um, as Jesus said, the wheat and the weeds grows together. And it, I think it certainly does as we look at church history, everything from apartheid to uh, Nazi Germany, the Rwandan genocide, the colonization of countries and the way that the church kind of um, sanctified and blessed the uh, murder of indigenous people. I mean, and yet there was a resistance to that, you know, almost everywhere, the yes. resistance to the Nazis, the confessing yes. church, the resistance yes. to apartheid, you know, like, yes. oh, so yeah, we're a mixed bag <laughs> or, or, you know what it is sometimes is that there's two competing narratives. And I, I think, yeah. I, you know, I see mm. that right now in mm. America, that yeah. there's there's maybe more than two, but there's definitely two Christianities, maybe lots of Christianities. But there's there's sure. there's there's versions of Christianity that are. Um, there are, are there antithetical are two, to Jesus. Yes. Yeah. There, and, there are. And, and I, I think I think what I hear in that is that there are two particular versions of Christianity that that are consistently depicted as being directly at odds with each other in America at the moment, maybe. Yeah. And Frederick Douglass named that, you know, he said between the Christianity of Christ and the Christianity of this land, America, I noticed the widest possible difference. You can't call (laughs) one good and without calling the other bad. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Or, you know, John and Wilson Hartgrove has called it slaveholder religion there's the christianity of the master and the christianity of the enslaved person um yeah. so we i mean we see that even starkly through history you know the, the the bible i mean some folks i don't you know don't know but the, the bible was actually edited by white folks to take out the yeah. liberating scriptures and uh so mm-hmm. that enslaved people uh wouldn't hear the good news <laughs> of god's liberation right and so i mean we've we've literally um tried to uh to create a slaveholder religion um that would justify that injustice so anyway you know but i I see it right now you know in our country as as many uh christian uh, folks that are really embracing a version of christian nationalism that is kind kind of trying to camouflage itself as as authentic Christian faith, but it, but it's much more, um, uh, concerned about, uh, white, uh, uh, America and, um, centers America rather than Jesus. It, uh, hmm. defends things that are really indefensible, um, in terms of the actual gospel of Jesus. So that, that deeply concerns me, you know, that, uh, um, the biggest obstacle to, to Jesus, um, is not secularist, uh, but uh, <laughs> nationalists that are waving the flag with the Bible in their hand. Um, the idea that um, we all, like all of us have the intention, have, have the desire to, to be, to be more whole. I happen to be Christian. So that the language of wholeness means um, being more as um, 
for me, for me, it means being being more as we are intended to be, and if we are made by God, that means intending to be at peace with God, and in, and in, in being at peace with God, we're at peace with ourselves, with the people around us, and with the the world that God created, um, and and in 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 being in right balance, as you with so many things as you said, um, everyone has enough. Um, our relationship to to the planet around us is having a sense of and and, and joy. Um, what what does to the the thing was an honest desire to draw near to this place of wholeness and and in our language near to the heart of god um what's the point of departure that caused that to go awry in the space of christian nationalism so i think that some of the original there's a, there's probably a lot of places that we can trace the roots. You know, it's like we do a lot of urban gardening um, and you, you think you've, you've got the, the weed that you've pulled it up, but then there's a whole root system, you know? And uh, so it it, it goes, it goes a little bit deeper, but um, certainly one of the things that happened um, that has happened in America, just to start with the weed that we can see, you know, the part of the plant that we can see is that we've, um, really uh confused christianity with uh america right so i mean our money says in god we trust but our economy really if we're honest looks like the seven deadly sins um (laughs) you know like um when you look at america um that there are folks that say this is a you know meant to be a christian nation um and yet even our founding documents, um, natives were called savages. Uh, African-Americans were three-fifths human. And so when we said we, the people, we didn't mean all the people, right? We, um, and, and so we, we see that even in the founding of our country, I think we valued some lives uh, more than others. You know, women aren't even mentioned. Uh, so, so I think there's a whole, there's a whole um, our foundation is cracked. You know, and 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 um, uh, when I look at where we are right now um, in in the United States, I think there's a lot of folks that are um, wrestling with that. And and what what it's done is like it's inoculated people in some ways. Uh, uh, I, I use that word very intentionally. You know, in the middle of the the pandemic, you know, part of what what knocks a disease out of you or strengthens your immunity to it is having a watered down version of it. Right. So I think there's folks that have gotten um, sort of a watered down version of Christianity and it's not, it's, it's built their resistance to it. Uh, As Soren Kierkegaard, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the great thinkers of the church, he, he said, where everything is Christian, nothing is Christian. It's a powerful line. And I think that's kind of where yeah. we've gotten. Um, and uh, when everything is branded Christianity in America, you lose track of what the distinctiveness of Christianity really is, you know, because not everything looks like Jesus. Uh, and I'm not advocating yeah. a theocracy. You know, we, we wrote a book called Jesus for President, kind of yes. wrestling with some of these um you know, paradoxes and struggles to try to, you know, flesh that out. But I, I think wherever Christianity is triumphal, um, triumphant and um, powerful, it begins to lose 
the humility and the love and the essence, uh, it loses itself. You know, I mean, you think of Jesus and uh, Jesus is the embodiment of God, I believe, as a Christian. You know, I, I also think that it's a contradiction of, of so many different things that um, Jesus doesn't come to us as a brown skinned Palestinian mm. Jewish refugee in the middle of a genocide and is executed as a political criminal on a cross. Um, you know, like just uh, a parody of all of the power of this world, um, you know, and, and really exposing the powers of this world and subverting yeah. them with love and forgiveness and an empty tomb. So I, you know, I, I think that everything that Jesus did was a, was kind of a, um, a parody of that, that power. So Christianity, I mean, over and over through the centuries has lost that, you know, the, the early Christians began to get that. Um, I think even in the gospel, we see this kind of knee jerk reaction of, um, fighting power on its own terms. Like when Peter, Jesus's disciple picks up a sword to defend Jesus against the, his arrest. Jesus scolds Peter, heals the guy that Peter had wounded and really shows them another way. And they begin to get it, you know, like Peter ends up dying um, for his yeah. faith. So do many yeah. of the disciples, like the early Christians were known for their nonviolence um, yes. and, and, you know, had this, this deep conviction that violence was the problem um, and, and the, the kind of expression of worldly power. So they were, they were willing to die, but not to kill. And we see that for like several hundred years, you know, until mm -hmm. Christianity grows mm -hmm. to a point from being marginalized to beginning to grasp the reins of power. Um, and Constantine, of course, being one of the first symbols of that, you know, mm -hmm. where uh, mm -hmm. it becomes the official religion of the Roman Empire and exchanges the cross for a sword. Uh, the persecuted become the persecutors and yeah. become the moral gatekeepers and begin to do some of the exact same things that were done to them yeah. for several hundred years to other people. And we, you know, see iterations of that through the Crusades. And, uh, well, I ain't going to give a whole the theology class here, man. I'll, I'll, uh, but I, yeah, I think even, in, you know, in the Reformation where there was the critique of cat the Catholic Church and the, the Pope and um, the power of the church, um, during, yeah. you know, colonization and everything. One of the problems of the Reformation, though, was that um, it didn't critique the power. It critiqued where the power was. And it only, in many ways, shifted the power from Rome to the state. And Martin Luther and many of the other uh, reformers began to venerate uh, and to really have this sacredness of state power, that this was the hand of God. Yeah. Um, and in fact, Martin Luther, I think he got some things right and he got a lot of things wrong. And one of those was this, this kind of um, blank check uh, that, uh, that he gave to the state where, you know, the state can kind of do no wrong. It's the hand of God. Yeah. And some of that, you know, we still have today. It's weird because in the U.S., like we got this wild sort of postmodern um, this 
on the one hand, all these patriots are really are willing. The people that call themselves patriots are re- like very suspicious of state power, and they're. I mean, now you know, um, they're willing to kill the national guard or you know the FBI or whoever it is. But like Christians, have, we've we've like we're very confused. I think right now. <laughs> so, um, but some well, of those I traditions think you nailed it though, right? Like, because you identified that Christian that the that Christians have had this sort of history of a complicated relationship with power. Um, um, I I like the language of moral authority. Yeah. Um, and and it, we're in a we're in a season. At least it seems like in a season. At least in in the U.S. like religious sphere sphere of moral authority that Christianity has increasingly less yeah moral authority and probably power um and so there there is as you i i at least it's, it seems like given that we're recording um the week of um of the former president's home being searched by the fbi and there are now being calls to defund the fbi unbelievable um, yeah that it just it just seems like there there is a profound reaction to this awareness this sudden awareness in people in christian nationalism of the loss of moral authority and the loss of power and influence yeah i I mean it really does boggle the mind it kind of makes you wonder where um we can you know the i mean the fbi wasn't malcolm x or uh the black panthers or the death of dr king or you know so many other things but it's the legitimate um search of the fbi for nuclear codes apparently you know think about anyway I, it's just it's, but, but, but i mean um i i think the things that we um we are seeing in our country are sort of this moment of shaking and there's a scripture that yeah. says that there's this shaking and that which is um grounded will remain and that which is shakeable will kind of fade away. Um, And I think there are parts of the church that um, just like, you know, we we just pruned our grapevine. It needs to be pruned. There's parts that need to die so that the vine can live. And there's parts of the church that were founded on racism, entire denominations Mm -hmm. uh, that were, they originated because they were defending slavery and segregation. Um, so what does it mean to repent? Right. Like, like, so I I think these are really great questions. So there is a grad, I think there's an amazing moment, um, where, uh, I quoted a lot, but, you know, Valerie Carr, uh, the Sikh activist in New York, you know, lawyer. Mm -hmm. And she, she Mm -hmm. says it's a dark moment and, and she kind of names that darkness. though and invites us to say, um, is this the darkness of the tomb or is it the darkness of the womb? Right. Is, is Mm -hmm. it, is it that, uh, America is dying, or could it be that America is just being born? Uh, mm-hmm. It's a really beautiful way of kind of naming this moment that we're in. And, and so, um, uh, you know, I, I would like to believe that America is, is uh, just being born, and this is a moment, you know, pregnant with with hope and possibility. And um, But there certainly are those moments where you you wake up and you're like, the experiment, the, the American experiment <laughs> is, is not going well. Yeah. 
the 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 results are inconsistent with <laughs> the original with the original <laughs> hypothesis. Um, the experiment going well. Uh, yeah, results are different than intended. Um, I want to I want to talk about something. I want to pivot a little bit. Um, I want to talk about something that. Um, I have observed in the 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 bit of um, work that I've been able to do with you, meeting you um, at Yale Seminary, um, having a couple of colleagues locally here that know us in person, having had the privilege of of having a cup of coffee and then before times, um, things the, the the more time that I that I get to with you and the work that you've done um, earlier with the simple way of sitting on the board now and now focusions and raw tools Philly. And now the new book is that you have a seemingly unending um, source of energy when things get really hard and really difficult. They're really, really dark and and sad. There, there have been somewhere around ten to twelve um, gun shootings in Philadelphia that we know of so far this week. This week, people, places, ideas. That sort of help fill back up the tank. That help, that help refresh the joy when things are really low. And well, boy, there's there's a lot of I guess a lot of thoughts uh, of where I keep the fire going. You know, I, I think some of it um, um, is that. Uh, there's that old hymn that says my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus blood and righteousness. You know, all other, all other ground is sinking sand. Mm -hmm. And that, that kind of sounds a little cliche sometimes, but I think I've learned a depth to that song, especially from the resilience of my neighbors that literally our hope is not in wall street. Um, Our hope is not, in the U S military, uh, our hope is not, um, and, um, anything short of, of Jesus's love and righteousness. And then, and then, and so, you know, like when wall street was just crashing, one of my neighbors said, no matter what happens on wall street, God is still good. And then he said, and my people have been in a recession for a few hundred years. And God never left us, you know, so there's this sense of what we've made it through that I've learned from being immersed in communities that have been historically marginalized, you know, especially yeah. like um, in my neighborhood and the historic black church, those places where you really feel the sense of like, um, and, and I think that's the problem with some of the Americanism is that we put our hope in America or we put our hope in a president. Yeah or in a party even. Um, and we're bound to be devastated if that, and disappointed if that's where our ultimate hope is. Um, um, I've also learned like that when we're in those spaces that have been historically marginalized, you experience a lot of anger and, and pain. And yes. I mean, like our neighborhood is regularly a place where we see the gun violence and all those really terrible things. Um, yes. And so we have to create channels for our anger and our pain to be transformed 
or as you know my friend Richard Rohr says if if, if our if our mm-hmm. pain is not transformed it gets transmitted and not, not always in good yeah. ways right it gets transferred it gets you know and yeah. so it, it needs to be transformed and literally that's part of I think why um, we beat guns into garden tools it it, it is a form of therapy <laughs> it's a literally a way not just for me but for many people who have survived yeah things i can only imagine you know my yeah. friend sharon risher whose mom and whole family was killed in mother emmanuel ame church in charleston in the middle of their wednesday night bible study you know and as she beat on the gun she's just weeping and she's naming all nine of their names yeah. and afterwards you know she just kind of fell and collapsed in my arms and we're holding each other we're crying you know and she said something in me something happened at the four, yeah. at the anvil you know as i was beating on that yeah. gun and she told me later she said a lot of the things i've thought about doing in my head to the shooter like i just took all that anger out on the, on the gun yeah. you know and and so I, I think there's you know we've got to find ways that we can um uh, use that anger and pain especially right now um into into concrete change and i mean literally sometimes that looks like you know turning metal that was crafted to kill and the metal that's crafted for life but it also i think it's like what let's get in the streets let's do stuff like we've got to we've got to channel that right now into uh, you know positive um uh, concrete changes in our society um there's that old bumper sticker. It's actually the last words of Heather Hare, you know, as before she was killed in Charlottesville by, by the white supremacists. She said, if we're not angry, then we're not paying attention. And, and, and so there's a part of it that is like, uh, you know, there, there, there's, there's nothing, certainly nothing wrong with being angry. And if we're not angry, maybe we're not paying attention, but we've got to figure out ways that we can really, um, use anger in a transformative way and so i love you know i love art i love i love the circus so we do a lot of like you know we we're jugglers and unicycles unicyclers and fire breathers and so i think i think all of that like energy life imagination um we need that uh and and in fact you know i we, we talk sometimes about how we're not just protesting but we're protestifying, right? We're, we're proclaiming how the world could be better, not just protesting how it's gone wrong. So I would love to know, uh, because you told me about this as we were prepared for the interview, that you love the circus. And since you brought it up and there's so many other things that if we had like four hours, just like little tidbits that, that I would love to hear the story of, but I would love to know the story of loving of just the, the love of the circus check this out i know that I, like again sorry for folks that are only listening to the audio but we'll so, make sure that this gets on the youtube channel so i'm going to show you something it. really cool so um uh when i was so i i thought you know when i was in high school i i began uh doing some circus stuff and i ended up performing yeah. kind of randomly um like almost like a filler thing my 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 friend and I that did circus stuff together we did a little act at the governor's conference and and there were these these professional circus people that were there I have no idea it all sounds surreal but they like they came up to us afterwards we're we're 16 years old or whatever you know they're like you guys are great we would love to give you a full um scholarship to circus school and we're like 
I mean, this, this is like a dream, you know? And so we end up going and, and, and I, 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 I went to this advanced uh, clown and circus school. So look at this right here. These shoes were, these are clown shoes that I'm showing homemade that were uh, made um, by one of the great circus performers. Um, uh, what, uh, Buttons the Clown was his name. He's, <laughs> Um, but you know, I learned a unicycle. I learned to juggle. I learned fire breathing. We, we uh, you know, all this stuff. So it comes in very handy these days. You know, with our marches and protests, and even just stuff in the neighborhood. <laughs> I mean, so I think I think the world needs a little bit more circus. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, what is the key to a safe and successful fire breathing um, experience as a performer? <laughs> Well, we may have a little liability issues here in giving a fire breathing lesson over the over the the airways, but I I I will I I will say that I'm a trained professional, and you know it it, it uh, so there's the fire there's fire juggling there's all kinds of you know there's people yeah, that are really yeah, we got some great fire sure. performers in Philly there's the the fire spinning you know what I what what Katie my wife and I do are the, the I like eat fire and the breathing oh, of God. fire so um you know it's also very very handy at pentecost for the church yeah. we celebrate the tongues of fire and the, the sure. holy spirit is fire but um uh, <laughs> yeah um wow I'll, I'll just say this if you want to learn to breathe fire you you don't i can't tell you what you use because i'd probably get in big trouble but um, it's definitely not gasoline or anything combustible but you can begin just by spewing a little water and you want it to turn into, when you first do it, it'll probably be um, too uh, thick, right? You know, it shouldn't be like <laughs> spitting, but it should be this mist that comes. And so it should actually linger for about three or four seconds. And when you get to that point, Polly, I'll give you your, uh, your second fire breathing lesson but when you can do water into a fine mist that lasts for four to five seconds you let me know um one do not drink gas um so so stay tuned for the live taping um let's talk about gardening what what, what the last time that i visited um the simple way house up in your neighborhood um like there's it, it's there in abound um yeah. We've, I, I'm always drawn to the, the work of like taking out like weeds and junk trees and like trying to figure out what cultivates, what grows, um, what drives the love of gardening? Lots of stuff. I mean, this is one of the places where my, my Tennessee life meets my Philadelphia life, you know, yeah. um, cause my family were gardeners and farmers yeah. and we, uh, um, raised a lot of our own food i mean to this day my family you know cans vegetables and makes homemade you know uh jelly and fr fries okra and you know cans tomatoes all this stuff so i love i love that and i think it's kind of a endangered art you know being able to raise our own food and preserve it and things like that so i mm. i i didn't i don't think i appreciated that growing up i mean it just seemed like the fast food world you know um yes. And in a, in, a, in a place that's often called a food desert, you know, where we don't have a lot of nutritional yes. nutritional food, there's layers of um, there, there's layers of 
imperfection, uh, I guess is to use a nice word about our neighborhood. And one of those is just a lack of access to clean food or really good food, nutritious, yes. locally grown food. Yes. And I remember years ago, somebody saying it's easier to get a gun in our neighborhood than it is a good salad. That's yes. deep, right? And it, and it yes. kind of names a lot of different things at once. Um, so, you know, I, I think when we, when we raise our own food in North Philadelphia, it is challenging. Um, it is a, an act of defiance. Uh, it's hard to explain mm. like all of those challenges, you know, but you can't, you, there's so many things that are fighting. And, um, and, and, and uh, so, so, you know, I, I, I think of it kind of like that. I mean, I think sometimes it does feel like one of the most radical things that we do um, is grow food, you know, in, in North yeah. Philadelphia. Um, and, um, you know, we have chickens now and we've got a grapevine that's 10 years old. We're growing kiwi. Yeah. Um, I didn't even know you could grow kiwi and it took four years to get a kiwi off of our kiwi vine. So there's, a, there's a part of this that is about yeah. faith. You know, we're, we saw like, we, we have hummingbird food out, but we've never seen a hummingbird. So we're believing that they're there. Um, and my neighbor saw one, right? We saw our first Cardinals. Oh. My, my neighbor said they put out hummingbird food for three years before they saw a hummingbird. Hmm. Um, that's deep, you know? And, and, and I think like we saw our first Cardinals. Some of the kids on our block saw their first lightning bug, their first fireflies, you know? And, oh. and so, you know, seeing praying mantises, which are a beneficial yeah. insect, you know, they're eating the bats. So it's just yeah. absolutely, to me, um, it's participating in that dream of God. Um, one of my neighbors said it best. Some of my best theology probably comes from neighbors. And one of my neighbors said, I get what we're doing. You know, we're out in the garden and, uh, and she's yes. an older woman. And yes. she said, we're trying to bring the garden of Eden to North Philadelphia. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, like that, that vision um, is, that's what we're trying to do. You know, we, we want death kids dying on our corners, not to be normal. We want yeah. sunflowers and, uh, t you know, tomatoes and cabbage growing like that should be normal. Like, and we get so suffocated in the concrete thing that was so exciting, um, that links to this piece of gardening. I want to be, and I want to be respectful of your time as well. Cause I know we're getting close. Um, but, um, there is, um, You've gotten raw tools fully um, to this to get a project um, to that space where it's ready, like to have this very public, like space. Yeah. So, so this this vision, I mean, it's related to the gardening, right? Um, yeah. Uh, is is transforming. Uh, the the things that have brought death into life giving things uh, swords into plows guns into garden tools and we yeah. started doing that ten years ago um, it's actually on the anniversary of nine eleven um, yeah. September eleventh the tenth anniversary we did our first weapons conversion uh, transformation of an AK forty seven into garden tools and we turned it into a shovel and a rake kind of live on stage at the world cafe. Actually, I teamed up with my friend, Ben Cohen, who's the Ben of Ben and Jerry's, you know, and he, uh, we, we had an world event cafe called, 
Yeah. yeah, we had an event, an event called Jesus Bombs and Ice Cream, imagining a world with <laughs> with with less bombs and more ice cream. And we it, it ended with helium balloons dropping um, uh, uh, Ben and Jerry's buckets, you know, from the sky. But it was just a magical night, and 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 that was powerful. Um, yeah. But we we began doing the gun conversions. Um, after that, we've been doing it ever since, you know, for 10 years. And one of the first guns we did in Philadelphia, we found in an abandoned house. So we're, we're actively trying to hmm. bring abandoned houses back to life, you know, turn these, these vacant abandoniums, abandoned homes yeah. and, into, into really beautiful homes again. And um, so my friend found a, a, a handgun in one of those houses and we transformed that into a garden tool. Uh, and, and, in that instance, we felt really yeah. sort of stirred by the spirit um, to invite the fa- the folks that had lost their loved ones. And so they began to take the hammer and beat on, you know, this gun. And that's when I realized as this one mother, you know, in Philadelphia, uh, Sherry Ryan, she's just beating on this gun, remembering her son who was killed. And yeah. every thump of the hammer, she says, this is for my boy. And that's when I, I realized that what we're doing is really sacramental, you know, that it, that it's holy. Yeah. That's a church word, but mm. it means holy mystery, right? That there's something transcendent yeah. um, about turning a gun into garden tools and, and allowing people who have been so traumatized mm. by gun violence to take the hammer. Um, so, you know, we've, we've kept doing that work. We, we wrote a book yeah. on gun violence called beating guns, but now, right. you know, opening the store in Philly is a dream and we're doing, you know, we, yes. we've got a storefront yes. right at Kensington and Allegheny, yes. which is, you know, one of our tougher neighborhoods in Philly, really probably yeah. one of the, the neighborhoods that's got some of the deepest wounds in our entire country, you know, uh, both addiction and gun violence, yeah. poverty. Yeah. Um, so, Right at K and A um, is is where the raw tools shop will be, and that's where we'll be turning Amazing. guns into art and garden tools. Um, and you know, of those fifty-seven blocks in Philadelphia that carry a bulk of the gun violence, over twenty, over half of those blocks are within walking distance of Kensington and Allegheny. So this yes, neighborhood yes. in Kensington, um, yes, you know, it, it, it's 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 one of those things that boy, we, we want to do it right here. You know, we're going to take the forge all over the city. We're creating a, a yeah. network of uh, safe surrender sites where guns can be mm-hmm. taken off of the street and decommissioned. So we're creating that network. We're training people in how to decommission guns. So literally, you know, how to chop them up um, in a way that's safe mm-hmm. and that um, legally makes a firearm no longer a firearm then it's just scraps mm-hmm. it's uh metal and plastic scraps yeah. that we use to make art so it's going to be incredible you know um we've already gotten guns um i'll tell you one story uh paulie like the, sure. the, there's someone in philly that they they um t- they their family member gave them an ar-15 you know this kind of military style weapon and they, they didn't want it yeah. um um so they they googled how to get rid of a gun and it pulled it pulled us up right so i i, I got an email from our website you know this guy said that you know i i this is, and he's a mile away so i go over you know and he's he's you know a 
person of faith. So we pray together, yeah. you know, we're, we do this kind of holy, we chop the gun up and now I'm making him some tools out of it. But um, literally like this AR-15 that could have been used for all kinds of other things. Um, and thankfully has never been shot. Uh, it was brand new, you know, and we, wow. we, we were able to decommission that. But there's folks that are rethinking handguns. There's folks that have inherited guns. Sadly, we have a lot of suicide guns, guns that were used by folks who took their own life and their family members uh, don't know what to do with these guns. So we're, we're really grateful to create a space where we can do that and where we, we can use the resources. We're a nonprofit. So, you know, yeah. uh, we give a lot of these things away to, to victims and survivors, but um, we also sell them online, you know, at Raw Tools. And that money goes to do suicide prevention and gun violence prevention work. Yeah. So pumped. Yeah. So f- go, folks can go to rawtools.org or if you're in Philly, go to rawtoolsphilly.org. And uh, I've got times where we'll have open shop days and we'll have public events where we're, we're uh, uh, literally, you know, turning guns into garden tools. And we would, we would love to have more and more folks join us. You, um, you, you just sort of helped me put a couple of things together that I've been working on myself. Um, um, the the story that you shared about about the woman um, beating the weapon into the into the tool and then the hug um, there's there there's a sacramentality about that you use the word of sacrament for for a listener who might not be familiar with that specific term it, it represents like a specific act that usually happens in the context of some sort of experience of um, Christian worship. Um, I, I'm not personally aware of many other traditions who like the word sacrament, who use it use it um, internally um, to represent the same sort of concept. But but it's a specific action, an embodied action that represents some sort of encounter with a divine, usually usually um, in the personhood of Jesus. Um, so it's this meeting of the the things that we can see and hear and feel and experience with our senses versus the the all of the things, all of the deep spiritual yearning that we have inside that is much less quantifiable and describable well in words. Is that fair to say? That's a great way to say it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think it is one of those, uh, you know, folks have said there's a, a thin place right between this yeah. world and the kind of yeah. supernatural. And it, and it is one of those um, moments where we often experience kind of the, the, the transcendent holy stuff right in yeah. this world. And I'm one of those that believes in the sacrament and uh, I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, many Catholics would hold it to a, you know, a few of these are the the sacraments, you know, a confession yeah. and, you know, the Eucharist or communion or, you know, marriage, those things. But I, I, I would uh, be a little bit more expansive in that and, and sure. say that I think that there are moments where we can experience the holy things in this world. And this is one of those where you really yeah. feel Hmm. that's something you can't almost even put words to. That's one of the ways you might mm-hmm. say, you know, it's a sacrament if you can't quite explain it. Right. And that's exactly yeah. what happens often at the forge. Exactly. Um, we've had, we've had folks that have um, lost their loved ones, of course, that have told, been able to tell their stories. We've had folks that have yeah. survived shootings with um, assault rifles. I mean, I don't want to go into grotesque detail, but just like they, and they've shared what what they experience, and it's given found experiences to, of body trauma. Yeah, yeah, um, to share that. Um, but here's the thing: I didn't even imagine this, but 
as we went around the country, we, we did this in um, like 40 different cities and, and yeah. small towns all over the country. Um, we've also had folks that have killed someone that have taken someone's life yeah. that as they've taken the hammer, um, it's a, it's a, a, an act of prayer and healing um, for them and for the, the, the people that they've harmed, you know? So I love how Desmond Tutu says the love yeah. of God is big enough. The love of God is big enough to heal both the oppressed and the oppressors, both the victims and the victimizers. And in this case, we might say those who um, have experienced violence and those who have been perpetrators of violence, mm. like God's healing all mm. of those hearts. There's a piece there um, that I, I think um, I, my my specialty from seminary is working in trauma-informed pastoral care Mm. um and when we talk when we talk about some of the clinical the clinical ways that the healing of trauma works not a therapist um but 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 the reading um that we do with judith herman and bessel van der kolk um talks about how the work of finding recovery of trauma is finding finding the ways to express the experience um, and then reintegrating it into into a person's like narrative of, of life of self, um, and I I think the thing that I'm nerd- noticing I almost made the portmanteau of noticing like like <laughs> noticing and like nerding out um, copyright uncommon good podcast um, but I, I think the thing that I'm noticing is that there's some parallel between sacramentality and the the, the work of recovery of trauma that in both ways we're taking an experience of something that has no words to describe it, whether it's because it naturally didn't in the case of spirituality encounters with the divine or because it was it was such an overwhelming experience that that caused words to be suddenly taken from the body in the case of trauma. Um, the work is always in the in the work of community and and with the work of qualified professionals who can who can help support your experience of healing um do not like do not take spiritual care as a replacement for therapy you heard it here folks um but there's this there's this overlap of of finding finding ways to describe the 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 undescribable Mm -hmm. the 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 imagine the imagined like the visionary like un un unthinkable like profound profundity um but i'm gonna i'm gonna work on that for later um i appreciate so much the time that you've spent with us this morning um i just have one more question for you um Mm. what do you want the world to look like when you're done with it (laughs) that's great uh it's a great question um and, and, you know, I'm still thinking about what you just said because it was so powerful. So I'll get to that. But I, I you yeah. know, I was thinking about Henry now and um, uh-huh. he, the, he's wonderful, you know, uh, priest uh, and part of uh, the large communities and, and yeah. um, but kind of left Harvard to join this community of folks with um, yeah. uh, special um, gifts and needs, you know, and they live together in community and um, but one of the things that Henry Nowen talked about is that we're wounded healers. And, yeah. and, and he named the fact that the things that we've often been ashamed of are scars. Um, the, 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 they are not 
our liabilities or the things that we should be ashamed of, but they're actually our credentials that we're wounded mm-hmm. healers. And he, you know, those, those things that we've made it through that we've survived, um, become the very things that, um, empower us to help others in their own experiences of, of healing and restoration. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so he said that, you know, that we're, that we're, we're wounded healers. Um, I think it was Rachel Held Evans that kind of added a piece to that, that it, you know, we're, we're, we're yeah. moving not out of our wounds, but out of our scars. So you don't want to have a bleeding wound, but you, you want to, you want to heal from that. But, you know, even after Jesus rose from the dead, he still had the scars. And it's a reminder yeah. that God endured the violence and the pain and triumphed over it and shows us a way forward. Um, so, you know, you, that, that work of um, uh, realizing that we live in a world that does so much harm and yet, um, yes. and the scars kind of remind us that the, the old cliche, forgive and forget, is wrong, right? You don't forget. You, you do remember, and it's important to remember, but we can also move forward out of the yes. things that we've experienced. And the best people that I know helping folks recover from addiction are folks that are recovering from addiction, right? That they're, mm-hmm. they're um, the best folks helping women come out of, or, or people come out of domestic violence or folks that have survived domestic violence, you know? So those like that, that's, that's a different way of thinking about all this. Right. So I, um, yeah. yeah. And, and the other thought that I had as we were talking, Paul, is there's a beautiful scripture that, um, talks about, uh, it's in the book of Corinthians in the New Testament, but it, it talks about the unity of the body. And if one part suffers, we all suffer. Um, if one part rejoices, we all rejoice. And then there's this beautiful piece of it at the end that we sometimes miss that says those parts of the body that have been dishonored are, giving, are given special honor now. Mm-hmm. That literally the parts that, of the body that have been historically marginalized and shamed and dishonored are now given special honor and love. And my friend Alexia Salvatierra says, this is God's affirmative action. <laughs> right? Woo! I love that. You know, that it's God affirming what history has really been slow to affirm. And that's why, you know, it's so beautiful that we can say, Black Lives Matter, or Trans Lives Matter, or Indigenous Lives Matter, because we can affirm in a special way, in a particular way, the people that the image of God in them has been yeah. denied for way too long. Yeah. And, and so that's, you know, as, as we're thinking, those are just, and I guess that, that, uh, that is the answer to your question. What is the kind of world, you know, what, I, what I want the world to look like. I want it. I want the world to look like a place where we affirm the preciousness of every person uh, mm. and that we love the creation, you know, like, mm. like, like it, it is something holy that God created. Um, and, and the, the early Christians said the cross gives us a vision of, healing that is horizontal, that is God healing human relationships. There's the vertical dimension that God is healing our relationship with God. But it all, they also said, 
and it's firmly rooted in the earth. So the cross is also showing us a God that is healing this world um, and the creation itself. Uh, so that's, that's uh, you know, the, the, the kind of world that we want to live in. And, and that, that, that world where people beat their swords into plows, where everyone has this day, their daily bread, like if we believe that that's where this story is going, it changes how we live right now. You know, it's been said that hope changes the one who hopes, <laughs> you know, that, yeah. uh, that we, yeah. we believe that the world can be different. We believe that metal can be recrafted, that someone who has killed another person is more than the worst thing that they've ever done. And that changes um, everything for us. Uh, we believe that everything can be restored. My guest has been Shane Claiborne. Thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your uncommon good with us. Thank you, my friend. Let's do it again soon. Thank you. My thanks to my guest, Shane Claiborne. Listen to Red Letter Christians wherever you get your podcasts. You can also learn more about The Simple Way and Raw Tools Philly at thesimpleway.org and rawtools.org. Thanks for tuning in to Uncommon Good with Paul e. Reese. This program is produced in southwest Philadelphia on the unceded land of the Lenny Lenape tribe and the Black Bottom community. If you enjoyed listening to the show, please support us by leaving us a five-star review and a comment and subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. It really does help people find us. Uncommon Good is also available on YouTube and Instagram. Follow us there for accessible video content and more goodies. We love questions and feedback. You can send us a DM on Instagram or an email at uncommongoodpod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, wishing you every uncommon good to do your uncommon good to be the uncommon good. <laughs>